Hello and welcome back to the Garden Leader podcast. Uh, my name is Andrew Ship, and I'm delighted to again be joined by Robert Green from our commercial property team. Hello again, Robert. Hi. In our last podcast, uh, Robert talked about the issue of leasehold enfranchisement. Um, today, uh, Robert is going to talk to us about collective enfranchisement. Uh, Robert, perhaps you could start by um, you know, telling us what collective enfranchisement is. Yeah, sure. Well, last time we spoke about the right for a tenant to extend his lease which is an individual right. Collective enfranchisement uh, is where a group of tenants in a block of flats have the right to uh, require the landlord to sell the freehold to them. Uh, They band together and if they can get more than 50% of the uh, qualifying tenants to agree then they have the right to insist that the landlord sell the freehold to them at a price which is to be agreed in accordance with the terms of the Act. Um, It's very similar in many ways to uh, the individual enfranchisement in that there are set time limits, uh, a notice of intent is served by the tenants upon the landlord, they have to get a valuation uh, and ultimately uh, once the timetable is um, completed they will end up as owning the freehold. Uh, They will do that however not individually but through the medium of a company in which they will own shares. Okay. Is the right to, you know, to franchise in this regard exercised often? Well, in my experience, no. And the reason for that, I think, is simply um, the first problem is getting a lot of, uh, enough tenants to agree. It's very mm-hmm. difficult getting 10 people to agree. So if you've got more than 10 people, it gets even more difficult. Sure. Um, the second problem is the fact that some unknown reason, the Act requires that each individual tenant signs the notice of intent. And that is quite difficult. If you've got 20 tenants who are signing, you have to get each and every one of them to sign the notice. It's quite a a logistical exercise to do that. Um, I know from bitter experience when I had to get 44 tenants to sign sign the document, and when it came back it looked as, well, it was frankly horrible. we, we served it and it went through, but it is, it is quite a practical problem. And the final problem, and possibly uh, ultimately the most serious, is of course you have to have the money. It's, it's, it's one thing when you're an individual tenant, you know how much money you've got, you know what you can raise, you know what you want. But when you're doing it collectively, the figures are much greater and you are relying on these individual tenants each to put enough money into the pot to cover all of the costs. One of the things which one has to bear in mind is that not only do you have to pay the cost of buying the the, the freehold interest, you also have to pay the landlord's legal costs and his surveyor's fees. And that can be, uh, depending on the size of the block of flats, quite a substantial sum. Right, okay. Um, Are there any other rights available to tenants in this regard? Well, one of the... The the answer to that is yes. Sorry, I'm... Be straightforward. <laughs> yes, there is the right to manage. Now, I actually think this is a much more interesting and useful right than being able to buy the freehold. Uh, it's the same setup. Um, you have to get more than 50% of the qualifying tenants. But whereas when you have to buy the freehold, you have to raise um, possibly substantial sums of capital, here you don't have to. What you're actually saying to the landlord is, we want to run the block. Uh, you serve the notice on the landlord, the procedure is set down in the Act, 
and once that procedure has been exhausted then on a specified date the tenants take over. Now the difference between buying the freehold and um, acquiring the right to manage is that whilst you have to use a company to do it the form of the company which is called a right to manage company is in fact set down in statutory regulations so there's no argument about what's in the, the memorandum articles it is fixed mm -hmm. um, and you do not therefore have to come up with um, substantial sums of capital there are problems with it I mean management is a difficult task uh, to get 10 people to agree on something is quite difficult to get 10 tenants to agree on any form of management which involves them spending money is quite Herculean because there is always going to be the person who wants to spend a lot of money because he wants to do the place up and the person who doesn't want to spend any money at all because he's basically a miser mm. so my advice to clients who are seeking to exercise their um, right to manage is having acquired the right to manage they should appoint a professional managing agent now I know that seems a bit strange you've got a managing agent uh, being employed by the landlord and then you get rid of the landlord's management and you promptly put in another managing agent uh, it is just common sense to run a, a, a block um, takes time it requires a, a fair amount of effort and let's face it, we're all working, you get home in the evening and the last thing you want to do is to sit down and wade through a load of invoices you've got from builders um, or, or, or things like that. So yes, I think it's a good idea to, um, to, to acquire the right to manage and a good idea to appoint a professional agent to do it on your behalf. But the operative thing is, you're the boss, you're paying the agent, he'll do what you want, whereas in the case of the landlord, he pays the agent and so the agent does what he wants, which is not what the tenants want. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining me again today, Robert. If you have any questions arising from today's subjects um, or ideas for future podcasts, please do contact me either on Twitter at andrewsgl uh, or via email at a.ship at gardener-leader.co.uk. Well, that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening, and I look forward to welcoming you back next time.